The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And time, and time again. Break up the music. Charge your glass. This nation is going to dance all night. A short-sleeved, side-volleying goalkeeper, a machine-like right-back, an inverted left-back, an unnecessarily chalk-and-cheese centre-half partnership, a press-resistant walking yellow card of a midfield fulcrum, a Bundesliga graduate number eight with an impenetrable skill set, precisely one fallen from grace South American playmaker, a false, false number nine, and a standout candidate to lead them out in the bowl-shaped out-of-town mega-stadium. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés and the pure 2021-22-11. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 143 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and with me my selection committee. First of all, Charlie Eccleshare, how's it going? Good, Adam, how are you? Really good. What are we doing here? Are you clear? Am I clear? Do we know what we're doing? I feel like this was inevitable, but um, but it's worthwhile, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think it'll be like playing a board game where you don't really know the rules at first, but you kind of just want to get going and hope it will it'll come apparent over time. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a similar... It's a similar furrow that we've ploughed before but just with Hmm. a a little kind of tweak anyway alongside you just hours after passing his theory driving test (laughs) oh bollocks i fucked up alongside you just hours after passing his driving theory test it's jack pitt brook are you basking in glory is that a glory you can bask in i think so yeah, I'm buzz. I'm buzzing. As footballers ten years ago would have said on Twitter, I'm Jose Bazingua. <laughs> really? Do you remember that one? No. <laughs> well, well, you missed out. Um, yeah, I kind of can't believe how proud I how proud I am of myself for having achieved this at the age of thirty three. But here we are. Have you have you framed the certificate that you sent me? Uh, no, I haven't actually yet. I I should do that. Forty seven out of fifty, not to be sniffed at, not to be sniffed at. But um, that makes you. A man who knows a thing or two about driving. <laughs> well, you say that, but I've actually never sat in front of a, a steering wheel and like even driven had a driving lesson. Ah. So for now, my achievements are very much on the sort of theoretical side. Like are Ralph Rangnick. <laughs> what a setup! Yeah, are you are. gonna take a, a physical test or just leave it at the theory? Well, it's side. all downhill from here. Yeah, I mean, I, what if I mess up? This is the interesting bit. Uh, I think I'm happy to. Um, yeah, I think I might just be self-satisfied about this forever and never actually get in a car yeah fine yeah as i say um take it as far as you want uh, it's all good you're here the pair of you to select the pure 2021 22 11 this is this is this is the vibe we're going for it's it's an 11 of perfectly approximated made-up players who encapsulate everything about football in 2022 physically technically tactically aesthetically everything we want everything all to come together to pick a, a team of players who kind of sum up it's kind of stock take of where we are 
with football. It's not an easy task, Charlie, because if you think about it, how many football-themed or football-adjacent TV and film productions and adverts, of course, have tried to do this and failed miserably? Mm. Yeah, I guess we have the gift of time so we can really get into it it's not just a yeah a snapshot on an ad or even you know with tv programs and films or whatever i don't know they're appealing to quite a mainstream audience sometimes yeah. whereas we yeah. can really dig into the nuts and bolts of all of these exactly. and we will yeah. maybe not having to take a kind of broad brush approach is is to our advantage but but jack our footballing intellect is on the line here again i think yeah i'm kind of nervous about this uh, because it's when I was thinking about how to conceive of it, it's kind of difficult to know exactly what direction to go in. So I feel like there's a high degree of difficulty to this podcast. Sure, actually, it's quite revealing as well of us. We're, we're laying bare our subconscious. This is what we think defines mm. a footballer in, in 2022. Yeah, but it's, it's not necessarily all about us. I mean, um, what makes our task God relatively no. st- <laughs> what makes our task relatively <laughs> straightforward, Charlie, is that. We forget how trend-led elite football can be in terms of both tactics. You know, one team starts doing something and then loads of other teams just follow seemingly without any thought. They just see it, see it working and want to try it themselves. And transfer strategy as well. I mean, there's, there's a lot of there's a surprising lack of thought that goes into modern football, I would say. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely we're being guided by those things. But with, with most of them, there are a few different directions and I guess the ones we choose will slightly betray the ones we find funniest and most interesting. Right so before we delve into this homogenous mass of talent that is elite level football in 2022 Jack let's let's hear from a couple of our listeners who've, who've given a useful overview of what they think we're after here. Rob says unreliable Iberian goalkeeper, young athletic injured British right back, low on confidence English centre back, South American centre midfielder loaned out in January Elfin Scandinavian number 10. Striker on 10 goals by January, but then has to go off to AFCON, scuppering his team's title challenge. These are the sorts of players apparently we're after. That sounds about right. That sounds about right. Some of my some of my ideas are slightly, uh, maybe a bit less kind of nationality-based and a bit more kind of footballistic. Yeah, good. But I think that sounds like a good framework. Yeah, we need to be a lot more nuanced than this, Charlie. Um, but then having said that, Matt Robertson writes here, says, all you need is an 11 comprised of the sons of early 2000s international tournament winners, none of whom play in the same position as their dad. <laughs> <laughs> Could be easy. That, yeah, that that is a good uh, sub-11 for us to do at some point. Mm. But yeah, generally, from the masses of contributions we had for this, Jack, there was a lot of Bundesliga. And I, I don't know, I kind of half expected to see that. But why why is the Bundesliga so influential in this in this apparent project of ours? Is it is it really the, the centre of the footballing universe now? I don't think it is. I don't think it is. But I think maybe it's because people people talk about the Bundesliga with a lot of enthusiasm and also with a sense of like this is how football should be played this is the country where they've mastered it they've mechanised it they've mastered it they've got a blueprint every team plays that blueprint and so if you can just kind of if we can just take you know the fascinating pressing structures of Werder Bremen over here (laughs) then you'll be really successful now of course I mean practice doesn't really quite work that way but I think because of that German football has this sheen of kind of mechanization and efficiency which say like I mean Spanish football doesn't seem to there's a reverence for Germany for sure the Bundesliga is kind of like a it's kind of a staging post as well it's you know it's it's a it's a place where people pass through Charlie so there's a Mm. lot of our potential team members who may have who may be or have been in the Bundesliga at some point so I can kind of see it's influence there yeah yeah and also a lot i think from from having a look at some of the suggestions there's a sense that they're in the bundesliga now very much with a view to you know in a year we, we can kind of map out their trajectory a little bit 
Yeah, we'll try not to be too Bundesliga heavy then. Uh, there were a surprising number of tales of woe, or at least mediocrity amongst the suggestions. Mostly players who have been released by Arsenal, Chelsea or Manchester United. <laughs> it does seem a little bit too easy to go down that route, Jack. But this is where a lot of lot of players begin their careers, even at elite level. This is, you know, they, they're kind of dumped by big clubs and they go down a bit and then they come back and they... they Perform some sort of resurgence, so it's not it's not a terrible path for us to go down. No, I think that's quite a good part. Like it's impossible to really. It's I, I don't think you can really get your head around the state of modern football without looking at the kind of warping effect that academies have. You know, then like the, the, the volume of recruitment that they do, how far they cast the net, how much money they pay you at the age of sixteen or seventeen when you sign your first pro deal, uh, and obviously you know as everyone knows, like two percent of those players wind up getting in the first team, and then they're all you know, dump back into the system, as it were. Um, and that does create pathways which lead players to end up in interesting places. Absolutely right. We had lots of Chelsea low knee stories, Charlie, but uh, I've saved them all for our pure 2018-19-11. Um, <laughs> maybe not one for today. There were lots of made-up names, uh, which are harder and more skin-crawling than people realise, Charlie. <laughs> it's... it's uh... Now I have a lot of sympathy for scriptwriters because uh, making up a name is actually quite excruciating. Yeah, you're you're very aware of kind of how loaded they are. I mean, sometimes they're quite. I mean, there are a few. I thought. I mean, we've obviously spoke a, a huge amount of length about Matt and Matty and all of that. And and some names do feel that they just lend themselves better to some positions. Um, yeah. So I filter out all the EFL journeymen. We're going elite level as possible here. And let's start with our goalkeeper, Jack. Uh, I'm going to paint a picture for you straight away. I want my goalkeeper to be in short sleeves by default. It's not It's not even, even a kind of style choice. That's just it. That's what they wear. I want them to be quite hyperactive, but quite commanding at the same time. Not necessarily massively tall, and I want them to have a manic attitude to distribution. I want them to be. I want to be. I want them to catch a ball at a corner and run out like they're holding a bottle at an England away game mid two thousands. Yeah, I kind of half agree. So I've got big, but not too big. I I think, but for me, the ultimate modern goalkeeper is not someone who's manic in manic in distribution but someone who is ice cool in distribution like that's what really stands out to me about particularly Edison who I think is probably the kind of paradigm form of this type of goalkeeper is how incredibly relaxed he is like even even under pressure from a centre forward who's trying to nick the ball off him he'll take an extra touch he'll dribble the ball along his own goal line and so in that sense like the idea of like the mad goalkeeper the crazy goalkeeper has kind of been inverted from someone who is far too in, you know the sort of Peter Schmeichel uh, far too intense and loud to almost the, the polar opposite it and someone who is seemingly untroubled by even like situations of extreme jeopardy so they don't have to be uh, big characters necessarily then no i don't get the okay. impression i mean edison i don't think edison is allison i think is probably more of a big character allison mm. fits the mold as well yeah. and it's only really recently that we've started to see any kind of english equivalent to, to goalkeepers like this uh, charlie on on the kind of calmness in possession point there was a there was a moment early on in the manchester derby at the weekend where Edison received the ball, you know, City were playing around the press, fair, you know, fairly easily. And they got it back to Edison and he he received the ball right next to his goalpost and was getting close down. And I just thought, in any other era, mm. that would be the most terrifying thing. It would be, it'd be awful. But now it's just like, we had to go ahead around it. It's fine. It's still, it still scares fans a lot. I think it's, I think there's, that'll be the law. It'll take a long time before that fear goes. And I've got a theory that part of that is because most of football fans can sort of empathise with. So e- even though we know they're amazing, but a guy thumping one in from 20 yards, you can sort of half imagine yourself doing that. Playing out from the back, you're like, I, I just cannot imagine not just hoofing that and being absolutely terrified. And I think that's why 
fans get really anxious about it. But on on the goalkeepers, I I went down much more your down your road. And I guess there's two different routes we can go down. But yeah, I, I've got written down the the Ben Foster, Aaron Ramsdale, Jordan Pickford paradigm, <laughs> and that is. I mean, I don't know if any of you heard the um, Ben Foster interview with Aaron Ramsdale on. Uh, on Ben Foster's podcast, it is amazing. I mean, re- really, really interesting in parts. They talk about the sort of, you know, craft of goalkeeping, which is probably more a thing we have now as well. That's quite a modern thing. But it's also just so high energy, sort of like Rambo, you're a legend, mate. You are, the, you're the best keeper around, mate. You're, you're, some of those saves were bad boy, mate. And, and Rambo, genuinely, and Rambo is sort of, he, he's a bit more measured, but he's happy. He kind of goes along with it. He's like, I want to go on a night with you, Fozzie. That would be amazing. All, Jeez, all of this Rambo and Fozzie. Yeah, it's very, it's very blokey. And I think, and I can mm. imagine Pickford fitting into that as well. He's got that same. I think him and um, Ramsdale have a similar sort of energy. So I think that's definitely a paradigm that mm. exists now amongst uh, goalkeepers. So you know, we've we've got our heads around the kind of distribution side of it and the mentality. But Jack, the primary role is to stop shots we want them to be an athletic sort you know a, a, a kind of showy saver if not a weird way of putting it <laughs> like we want them to be shot stoppers as well yeah yeah shot stoppers as well but i think nowadays the idea of the pure shot stopper feels a bit kind of passe mm. the sort of the sort of cassias type keeper that kind of old school like maybe not so big stays on his line unbelievable reactions and even, even I mean, this is perhaps, I mean, De Gea, I think, is very much of that ilk. Even Hugo, Hugo Lloris, yeah. maybe I mean slightly unfair on Lloris, but Lloris, I think I'd kind of bracket with De Gea and Castellas as being that kind of shot stopper guy. So I think what, what really stands out to me about the modern keeper is not so much the speciality of it, but the kind of completeness in the sense that he's good at lots of, he, you know, he's good with the ball at his feet. He can come off, he's good at running off his line to, to sweep up. He's not just a kind of reaction on the line guy and in that sense he's probably got more in common with the rest of his teammates than goalkeepers of the past yeah I was going to say and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this in other positions as well but a good uh, benchmark a, a modern goalkeeper it should have been said of them at some point I reckon he could play outfield I, 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 think, I, I think he's good enough with, with, with this distribute I think he could do a job well it, they, they usually have done you know it's you know that they're, they're... Their athletic long read always begins with an anecdote of how they were they were a striker, but then one time they didn't have a goalie and they had to go back and play a goal. And oh, that's it. That was the end of it. Um, People had chicken pox and yeah. the rest is history. Seems like these goalkeepers just seem to come out of purely accidental situations. No one actually wants to be one. But OK, so we've got this mental image of a, of a goalkeeper. I'm, I'm happy with that. A relatively calm presence, but fairly proactive and a very calm in possession and an increasingly something of a showbiz figure, maybe. Um, Reese Jones, though, wants to point out that we, we have to find room for a 36-year-old English backup goalkeeper who's there entirely for homegrown quota purposes, occasionally features in random marketing material. You may remember him fondly from Football Manager 2007, Charlie. That's a great shout. That is a very, very modern... I mean, I find the whole homegrown phenomenon is a very 2020s obsession. Uh, you know, what will it do? No, it makes sense, because Joe Hart's a smart signing of come in he'll fulfill the homegrown quota yeah, yeah. i mean you, yeah scott carson richard wright i mean man city they've, they've done a, a roaring trade in those 
Didn't yeah. one of them play? Scott Carson had to play s- last season, didn't he? <laughs> he had yeah. to play. <laughs> he was like, what? He did have to play. Um, Lee Grant. Yeah, yeah. Rob Green, of Stuart course. Stuart Taylor, Camp, of course. That was somebody else. Yeah, Stuart, yeah City by Stuart Taylor, Richard Wright and Scott Carson. It's a great racket to be in. They've it's completed it. a great racket it. to be in, honestly. It's great, yeah. Um, you know, forced to be, forced to be employed by, t- by a, you know, an industry-wide technicality. What a brilliant way of doing this. <laughs> um, so, okay, so we've got our English backup keeper. Uh, uh, let's, let's, let's call our, let's call our number one a nice Portuguese sort of 28-year-old Ben um, fulfilling all the other characteristics we've had so that yeah happy with that what kind of formation are we after here Jack are we a back four or a back three or does it matter anymore I think back four because I think it's more interesting to talk about players higher up the pitch agreed a clinical way of looking at it but um, (laughs) uh, Charlie I mean yeah maybe we want a back four who can switch to a back three anytime they like yeah I was going to say I mean one of my sort of templates for a right back is this sort of Azpilicueta who can also do a job as a right-sided centre-back which I feel is quite a, uh, again, quite a modern phenomenon. I mean, you used to talk, someone like Gary Neville would occasionally play as a centre-back, but that was a kind of emergency thing. Whereas, you know, Azpilicueta, guys like that, Ben Davis, of course, for Spurs, it feels like that line has, you know, slightly blurred. So as you've implied, Charlie, we've got a bit of a coin toss decision with our full-backs. Let's start at right-back. Um, they're very on vogue right now, of course, and not necessarily because they're so good going forward. They're they're heavyweight units. They're good at crossing and shooting, and but as, as well, they do their jobs fairly diligently too. So they're all round performers. But I, I like this flexibility that you suggested as well. Um, Gavin Smith agrees. He says we need that one fullback who can drop into centre half when you need to switch to a back five. Well, and also on the flexibility point, it's it's almost mandatory that any good right back, it should be said, they could play in midfield. Mm. You know, what, why aren't they trying to... Trent Alexander-Arnold, he's, he could play in midfield, mm. even though he's like this brilliant fullback and it suits him really well playing as a right-back. But that, yeah. that's the other... Because now we're used to being so good attack uh, going forward. Yeah. And we don't like... You know, we always have this tendency to want defenders who are good ball... Play, you know, the David Luiz could play central midfield or whatever. Mm. You know, we always want defenders who can go forward to play in midfield. So that seems like... Uh, an important asset to have as a as a right back. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Okay, so Jack, here's a couple of suggestions from our listeners just to um, paint a picture of what we might be after. Here's Jack Pierce, a man who just consistently gets it with this podcast. He says, Mads Venstrup, a Danish right back who, while only featuring for 11 minutes during last summer's Euros, got a move to mid-ranking Premier League side last summer for £6 million. <laughs> Thought to be shrewd business, but has hardly featured since his torrid, belated debut in October. I'm all for Scandinavian fullbacks, to be honest, but... Is, is is that not a bit Barclays era, maybe? Yeah, I think it is. Two Thomas Helveg. <laughs> yeah, it is two Thomas Helveg. That's what exactly right. I can't think of many. Are there any great Scandinavian fullbacks out around now? I hope I'm not offending. Anymore. I hope I'm not offending anyone. Yeah, for me, the modern fullback is actually not so much that kind of solid player. It's either, as Charlie says, the guy who drops into the back three, the, the Kyle Walker role, or it's the kind of the man who's reinvented the position. You know, the progressive passes, the Trent Alexander-Arnold, João Cancelo, Matt Doherty, now the third member of that club, <laughs> as he's proven in Spurs' his last two Premier League games. Yeah. I, but the, the Doherty story is quite interesting, actually, Charlie, because um, it seems to me that fullback is the most susceptible position to simply just hanging around long enough to suddenly become relevant again. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, Conte's history with, with that position is, is well understood. But um, yeah, it seems to be the one position where if you just stick around long enough, you may well, the world might just sort of turn around in, in your favour enough. I don't feel like that doesn't apply to any other position. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I know what you mean. But I, I, I feel like now as well, the sort of prototype in my head is that is that very pacey, good attacking uh, right back. And I was, you know, thinking that, you know, Jed Spence, someone like that, who is very much of that model. You know, th- this kind of player who is really exciting and good. And then you hear that all Premier League clubs are keeping tabs on this player. Um, I feel that as well is, is very, uh, very 2022. Okay, let's go for a for a young, dynamic, well built English right back who can do could do a job for you in either direction and is you know, England call up is beckoning. So but at left back, Jack, I feel like they're not quite the fascination they once were, perhaps due to the rise of the right backs. Are they as glamorous as they used to be? I sense not. I don't think so. Jacques Ancelo's basically a converted mm. right back, converted attacking midfielder who happens to start from left back and come inside. Alaba's now pretty old and plays for centre back at Real Madrid. Yep. And that's kind of it. Like it's uh I d I don't I wonder I wonder why exactly that is, but Yeah, I, I thought the same thing. Adam, I, I wrote in my notes. Um, I don't feel like this has evolved as much this position, and and now I do I do think of it more as a, and I feel like I mention it all the time. But Matt Target or you know that sort of guy, who, and that feels just very solid defense. But you know he'll get forward. He's you know left back has to be called Matt, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Matt, he'll yeah. contribute, but it's not you know compared. It, it does feel like the poor relation to the right back now. You know, I don't know if back in the day it was because they could take set pieces and that made a big difference, whereas now there's maybe less emphasis on set pieces. Do you think it's because... So this might be total bollocks, but do you think it's because if you're really good, like 20 years ago, or 10 years ago, 20 years ago, if you're a really good left-sided player, you'd play out on either the left wing, then as people started to play wingers less, you kind of move back to left back. Whereas now, if you're a really good left-sided player... You want to play on the right of the four-two-three-one, don't mm-hmm. you? You want to be that attacking player who comes inside and kind of whips the shots in. That sort of inverted winger. Yeah. So yeah, there's like the, the, if you're like the, the left-footed players are getting moved away from the left side. And there's kind of nobody left to play a left. Yeah, player. definitely. Bukayo Saka, when he broke into the Arsenal team, a lot in his first season he played as a left back, and it was and, and did very well. And it was thought, you know, he he could just that could be his position. But he was very set that he wanted to play as that as exactly as you say, Jack, that right winger cutting into his left. Right. So. Yeah, there may be something in that. Twenty years ago, Bukayo Saka might have got kind of moulded into an Ashley mm. Cole type player, mm-hmm. whereas now, obviously, you know that like that the goal he scored at Watford the other day was was amazing. Mm. But that's you know very much the kind of goal scored by a left footed player starting in that in that attacking right hand side position. This is genuinely interesting, actually. <laughs> I, I, I'm, Move over, Michael Cole. No, it, it is a little bit. We're getting very earnest here, but um, but no, I'm slightly fascinated by this because you know if in any average team, if you were to pick one side to kind of sacrifice when the other one bombs forward and the other one just sits in, it's more likely to be the left-back, Charlie, just because of the scarcity of options generally. And the natural extent of that is that you pick someone who's right-footed, like Cancelo, who can do mm. multiple roles, not necessarily just sitting back, but slotting in, field, that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm, I think we might have a right-footed left-back Ooh, in our team. I mean, that's, well, that was fa- you know the famous, uh, in 2018, the England World Cup team. Um, it was Ashley Young, wasn't it? Cutting in. Yeah. Well, we're doing it right. out of choice. We're doing Which, it out of choice. Yeah, I mean, that that's extreme. I, I do also wonder if there's something about the fact that now there's such an emphasis on left-sided centre-backs that as well as the right wing, for, for maybe the stronger defenders who would have been left-backs previously, they've been kind of moved in field to fulfil that need that most teams seem to have. Yeah, but I think fundamentally, Jack, if we were doing this team 10 years ago, we'd, we'd want a kind of barrel-shaped left-back who bombs forward, you know, Roberto Carlos kind of template. But I feel like we're more reserved now. We're more circumspect about what we want from at least one of our full-backs. So let's be a bit more, a bit more conservative on the left. OK, so yeah, we, we've got our full-backs 
or potential wing backs sorted. Okay, let's look at our centre halves. Charlie, I feel like it all needs to be about the partnership, doesn't it? You need to dovetail. Am, am I am I being have I got this wrong? I mean, one one needs to be kind of a shouty leader, man mountain, and the other one needs to be a kind of calmier slash snidier presence. <laughs> and for, I mean, yeah. I mean, centre half partnerships don't need to don't need to exist in the same way that classic strike partnerships do you could have two lumps and it would still be fine they don't have to complement each other do they but they do why do teams do this yeah i think it as well like we think of squad rotation now but you it feel it still is a bit of a truism that you want to have that settled partnership at center back i know i'm sure you know city have proved that that doesn't necessarily need to be the case because they've got lots of really good centre-backs. But I do think this is a change as well, the left-sided and right-sidedness. That's something that has changed quite a lot in the last five, ten years. Like, I don't remember ever caring, really, about that. Whereas now, it's... I mean, I remember at Spurs, you know, with Spurs, it was constantly a thing about, we haven't got a left-sided centre-back. You know, when are we going to solve this issue? It's a much bigger preoccupation. Um a lot of this is is geared towards being comfortable on the ball, which is now kind of prerequisite, Jack. But Ed Quoth the Raven says, our centre-back pairing needs to have a huge difference in their comfort with playing out from the back. So we need to have one who's who's, who's a fulcrum of it all. And there's one who kind of sort of dances around the ball a bit and goes, I don't want it, get, get rid of it, don't give it to me. And uh, as a fan, that, that puts you on the edge of your seat in the wrong way. So the way that I've got it is I've got a um, one being an incredibly aggressive centre-back, probably from South America, okay. who <laughs> is... A like desperate to or desperate to win the ball early all the time, and you know we see a lot of this in the Premier League now. It's proven to be quite a kind of popular type of player. You know Romero, Otamendi, Miguel Britos, uh, Federico Fernandez. Who I found out is still at Newcastle United. Quite amazingly, because I think that is like now a, a kind of a classic archetype of type of centre back. So the, the concept of one going and one staying now. now yeah, exactly. And the other one is like is the it. talker. Yeah. The talker, pointer, good lad, fronts up, captain captain of the team, does a lot of interviews, that kind of thing. Isn't there the... Michael Cox has the cat and dog theory <laughs> about centre-backs, that mo- most, most centre-backs either fulfil that, the kind of... So what does he... Yeah, dogs are impetuous, energetic and desperate for action. Cats are sly, calculating and remain stationary before suddenly pouncing. Um... That was his sort yeah, of characterization of blend. it. Let's get some specifics, though. Elizabeth Barnard says centre-back pairing needs to be one exciting European player who you dread coming up against in the World Cup slash Euros, and one English defender, hopefully with a one-syllable forename and surname, who is crucially very tall, called something like Dan Moore. Um, I do feel like we do need we, we do need a kind of space in our team for an honest English old school centre half in 2022. Yeah, but can they also be deceptively quite good on the ball? I feel like that's often a thing that you'll you'll see Dan Moore or equivalent but they'll ping be one. Th- they'll, yeah, they'll, they'll, but Dan Moore will be playing for Brighton and he'll yeah. have been coached by Graham Potter and actually yeah, yeah is, is, is surprising it for someone who's six foot five Dan can, can play a bit <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah, yeah let's let's not have a little snidey sort of car value one let's have a let's have a guy who's clearly looking for a scrap jack and we'll have this English centre half alongside him Jamie writes in says you want an English centre half who's 26 15 under 21 caps and two friendly appearances for the senior team gets a nice soft football focus interview after a few good performances against Watford and their team is in the semi-finals of the FA Cup for the first time in 36 years. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I mean, we, 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 this has been proven not only to exist but also to be very popular as, as shown by the fact that Gareth South, Southgate took not only Connor Cody but also Tyron Mings to the Euros in large part because they're just good lads. <laughs> it was the classic, like, well... We've got Maguire and Stones and Walker can 
can play there as well. And so the, who are just the two nicest guys that we've got who can do a job. And you know what, Mings actually did pretty well in the games that he played. And I think, you know, Cody's proven to Wolves he's a pretty good player. But they weren't obviously, you know, the best two footballers in, the, in those positions. And yet the good lad at centre-back who is very loud and fronts up there's a huge amount of currency in, in that role. Yeah, I, I, people want that in your people want that in your team. Eric Dyer is that. Yeah, I mean that's, that's a very sound logic, Charlie. I would say the disproportionate number of good lads are centre halves in, in in this modern era. Yeah, absolutely. And you only have to look at the way they. It's interesting. Watch how they interact with with refs. Those kind of good lad centre backs. It really pushing I, everyone away. Yeah, I really yeah. think it makes a difference. If if you want to avoid, you know, if you're looking for a quick fire way to improve your disciplinary issue get in a Cody or a Mings or someone who's just widely thought to be a good trustworthy lad who wouldn't hurt anyone but they're good example they're good examples as well they because they are I would have historically characterized them as just those kind of all action Tony Adams <laughs> uh, Terry Butcher style uh, English centre-backs but they also can can play oh yeah They've we can't yeah we can't have a lump in our team that's that's not what they're for no but yeah we've, we've got we've got one aggressive guy alongside maybe a slightly more reserved but good solid English pro alongside him Ben White has good lad potential yeah. oh very much so yeah yeah as flashy as he looks he's still still doing yeah he, he's he's somewhere halfway between good lad and the I, th- I feel like he could also fit in with the James Madison sort of group of like those guys. <laughs> Very specific social group, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like he'd be he'd be the sensible one in that group, sure. Mm. But mm. he he could do a job there just as he could be with the the good lads. Yeah. The, the prerequisite for joining that social group is to wear the biggest sweatshirt possible to the <laughs> nicest possible <laughs> restaurant. That's all you need. <laughs> oh, look at that! That is wonderful. Brought to your ears by the Athletic. This is football cliches. Okay, good, good defence we've got there. Certainly not pulling up any trees in terms of surprises, but this is what this eleven's all about. We're, we're trying to sum up football in 2022. Let's get into midfield, please, Jack. I don't want to get too bogged down in number six versus number eight chat here because it really would become the Football Tactics podcast, but there are some obvious roles to fill. But what I would say, Jack, is that the wardrobe-sized defensive midfielders beloved of the Barclays era have been phased out. I would say you need to offer something more than simply being there in the way. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. So I think the kind of linchpin I think in my midfield is the kind of how best to put this, like Twitter's favourite midfielder, hmm. the sort of FB ref superstar, <laughs> uh, press resistant, line breaking, progressive passes, progressive carries, expected assists per ninety. All that kind of thing. You know, every I think like most teams have a player like this now. Some of them are very good. Well, most of them are very good. Uh, not all of them kind of deliver everything you'd expect of them, but every I think every player needs someone who has like a massive pizza graph, so which everybody gets very excited more, about. More, say, Kovacic than Jorginho, would you say? Someone who's going to sort of... You know what? I kind of think that Kovacic and Jorginho are kind of this player. Mm, okay. In a bit ways. deep, deep lying, really good on the ball, able to bring the ball forward, uh, able to pass the ball forward very well. Not, not a lot of goals and assists. Or doesn't really get into the final third that that much, but much more about keeping the ball, keeping the ball under pressure, uh, and setting the team on their way. Yep. So I, I, I mean, to go semi-serious for a second, I think the best example of this in the world is is Verratti. Okay, oh. he's a genuinely incredible. Player. He's my favourite player in the world, I think. Verratti. And then to wow. like varying wow. degrees, you've got Keita and Dombele, Thiago. Jorginho and Kovacic City don't have one in quite the same way mm. Rodri's you know I mean? not quite that is he 
Rodri's actually a bit more of the old... Mm. I mean, he's really good on the ball, but he's also like a big unit, whereas the, the guy that I'm thinking of is small. Yeah. Do you know, do you know who's they quite do have small, to be small, spindly, wiry, wriggly? You, you know who shows this evolution quite well is uh, Basuma at Brighton, because he is someone who back in the Barclays era would have been that he's just going to sit. But he does he does so much more than just sit. He, he mm. will make those progressive carries that Jack describes. Yeah, I, 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 do, I do kind of want our fulcrum to be this kind kind of slightly fragile looking but actually slightly snidier than you think midfielder uh, as Jay deals all rights in the holding midfielder not very physical not particularly aesthetically pleasing but is likely to be called a cog slash engine slash heart of a team that are incredibly successful also a nice touch if they're habitually on the cusp of a second booking following four to five tactical fouls so we've, <laughs> we've got our idea of it so it's not a unit at all we need a ball playing guy who's happy to break up attacks if needed he will take a yellow card for his team. So that's fine. A little aside here, we mentioned earlier, Charlie, about how excruciating it is to make up names of footballers. Sometimes you can telegraph the intent a little bit too much. But then having said that, there's this guy in League League 2, I am obliged to say, called Branko van den Boomen, who is a set-piece <laughs> specialist. I mean, come on! That feels almost like nominative determinism, assuming he's got a Either a booming left foot or a booming right foot. Branko van den Boomen. Yeah, I mean, I did think about giving name, names to each of these players, but then I decided it would be naff. And then this guy pops up, Jack. So, I don't know. The truth is stranger than fiction. Amazing. I'm just looking up on Wikipedia now. Place for Toulouse. Incredible. Oh, wow. He's been everywhere. I don't even know why I'm reading out his clubs on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> de Graaf Schap, FC Eindhoven, yep. which is Willem Tway. Is it? Is that how you say it? Heronveen, another spell at FC Eindhoven, and Young Ajax. Is this guy in our team? Or are we, no. Are we just laughing no, I'm just, I was just pointing out the ridiculousness of, of making up fictional so names. This is a great name. And then there was Branko van den Boomen just doing my job for me. But no, Can let's I just say a, a really, an important thing for that spindly, wiry, slightly dark artsy central midfielder is the ability. And we were talking, I was talking about this on the View from the Lane podcast the other week, is to do that thing that Fernandinho or whoever does is after a tactical foul, the sort of. Hands up, yeah, 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 no, I know, I know, oh, ref, completely. and sort of be able to kind of, yeah, no, 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 fair, fair play, tap the referee and, and, and talk his way out the, of a lot of bookings. Fernandinho, in my mind, is the best at it since Van Bommel, maybe the best ever. I, I think he's got an air in Rodri. Rodri is very, very good at this. The mm. Rodri's learning, yeah. <laughs> I think, I reckon uh, Fernandinho is like unpunished fouls per game, or unpunished fouls per 90, as it would be on FB ref is probably the highest I've ever seen. That's why he's one of my favourite players. Yeah, I want my defensive midfielder to spend 60% of his time with his ha- with his palms up by his shoulders. Um, exactly. You know, in faux protest. Shame, shame that the listeners can't see. Yeah, I, we, they, they, they get it. They know. Yeah, they know. As soon as you put your know. palms up to your shoulders, there's, there's only one sensation you can feel. I haven't done anything wrong. Right. Um, the rest of my midfield is such a fluid set of possibilities let's start with this Jack from Bundesliga commentator Kevin Hatchard who says Heiko Jan Weisskopf 19 but has already racked up over 100 Bundesliga games of Bayer Leverkusen having been picked up from Jan Regensburg tall lithe attacking midfielder who is excellent at finding space between the lines understands pressing game exceptionally well so we need a kind of player who proper football men just won't understand I think this is quite crucial to this team someone that Keyes and Gray would just go I don't know what he does do what, what, does. what does he do, Andy? <laughs> so I've got, I, funny enough, without even seeing Kevin's tweet, I had written down here the pressing monster, Kevin Campbell. <laughs> uh, just because there's always somebody, it's always Dortmund by Leverkusen or one of the Red Bull sides, who, again, it's just like a statistical, incredible stats, 
incredible pressing. People, you know, like kind of quite complex complex YouTube videos have been made of his pressing and that kind of player. It's, you know, it's like it's, some people would wonder whether it'd be worth bringing him over into our league and whether or <laughs> not that, that money into this league yeah, okay. and whether or not his his pressing patterns would work quite so well over here. But I certainly think that that kind of like he's just so he's just so clever about what he does. Yeah. You, you probably wouldn't even understand it. No, and it's many like, times we don't. I feel that this is a similar kind of. Play. I've written the intelligent space investigator, which is the kind of Thomas Muller thing in the, in the Mason Mount mold. And Mason Mount's one of those players who I'm obliged to say I think is amazing because I know that makes me sound clever and as though I understand football but often I'm kind of like I know he does. I know he does those amazing things. He's really good at finding space and stitching things together. But I just want to watch Jack Grealish because <laughs> it's so much easier and kind of more obvious. That Mason Mount role is a bit more like midfields have who- become very complicated. It's 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 really annoying for proper football men. I, I'm, I'm suggesting that I am not one of those, as I imply heavily that I am. But um, let's get on to more um, let's get fathomable figures. So we've got we've got our little spindly defensive midfielder who's going to be a pain in the ass. We've provisionally got our very clever, subtly brilliant Bundesliga-educated live midfielder who presumably is a number six or an eight. Don't know. Um, Jonathan Wilson, though, Jack, says, Luis Marquez, 29, Colombian, five foot eight, undoubtedly skillful but reluctant to perform defensive responsibilities. Big move in 2015, regular injuries, bounce unconvincingly around super clubs but massive wages. Linked with loan to Villa and Newcastle but joined Everton, option to buy in January. Skirting a little bit close to reality but I, we, we all know where he's going with this. We've, we've had enough examples of it. So I feel yeah, like we I do think, need this kind of semi-mercurial figure. Yeah, I think we definitely need a player who... Basically, the number 10 born 10 years too late. You know, there are so many great players, or potentially great players in football, who you just think, if you were born 10 years before, you would have been incredible, and you would have like a whole team would have been built around you as a 4-2-3-1. But then, in the problem with football in the 2020s is that people don't really play like that, and if you're not going to press, then you're not going to play for a good team. And then they slowly have that realisation when they when they go to a big team, and the big team thinks, Christ, it's a lot of work, isn't it? And, um, you know, whether that's Coutinho at Liverpool and then Barca and Bayern, or Hamas Rodriguez at Real Madrid, Rodriguez is a dis- one, disaster. Yeah. Meza Ozil, a slightly different case, but at Arsenal. And then it's kind of a slow, <laughs> slow move back down the pyramid. For whether it's Hamas at Everton or Coutinho at Villa, or a move to Monaco uh, uh, to sort of soft, yeah. soften the uh, soft, as a soft landing. I mean, I wonder if those guys, those guys must hate like Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva, <laughs> who are so good but also work really hard. It's like fuck's sake, exactly, guys! Yeah. If you hadn't done, if you hadn't yeah. changed, You're showing us all up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just stop running around so much, and we could get away with strutting about. I, I, I kind of, feel, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I feel annoyance on their part that football is become increasingly about massively hard work at all times there is a it's not even me being romantic about it it's just it's, that seems doesn't seem fair they feel like there should be room for at least one role on the team doesn't require you to do anything you know, mm, to a maximum yeah. effort and these are guys who would have grown up watching Imar, Raquel May, Ronaldinho and they thought it's brilliant this I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm so good at football all I have to do is get out on the pitch give me the ball and I'll do incredible things exactly. like three or four times a game yeah. and that is more than enough to win us a match. YouTube's lie to these people. They think it's yeah, just all they think it's all just turning quickly and spraying a pass straight away yeah. with your mouth open all, for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> and now all of a sudden it's 2022 and to play for a top team you need to 
uh, internalize a huge playbook of pressing structures and mechanisms, and you need to be able to sprint 15 kilometers per game. To you, you need to be one of these city slugs, basically, who's <laughs> has this amazing attitude, does yeah. exactly what Guardiola says, mm, and that's right. run around loads, as that's, well as being amazing technically. Yeah, similarly to Jonathan Wilson's suggestion, uh, Charlie Ben Wilson says Spurs fans are currently furious that Daniel Levy hasn't stumped up the cash to sign Benfica midfielder Diego Pedroza. He is the last piece of the puzzle. We, I mean, many of these types of midfielders are always deemed to be the last piece of the puzzle. They're so last piece of the puzzle-y. And uh, I think that's what we need. We need in our team is someone who is deemed to be that last thing that they need to push on. Yeah, and to be fair, sometimes they are like Bruno Fernandes. I know he hasn't, you know, United haven't won anything, but he was someone who Spurs wanted and was viewed in that kind of he he's the guy he's the guy and we, and we should also nod to the fact that you know the the George Mendes influence has meant the proliferation of Portuguese players and midfielders and you think you know that someone like Jedson Fernandes mm. that there will be those random guys who sort of pop up and you think yeah. did they really play in the Premier League or was that some sort mm. of strange dream okay so we've got as I said we've got our snidey defensive midfielder I think we're happy with our South American maybe Portuguese not playmaker necessarily but kind of and not, not necessarily luxury player either but a, you know a guy who's playing perhaps below what he should be doing and just sort of mm. meandering through his the rest of his career so while I said provisionally we've got our lithe space invading German Here's a couple of other options that maybe reflect what people think about the midfield art these days. Jack Eamon Dalton says, Joe Jones, a 19-year-old attacking midfielder, 25 appearances for Bayern Munich 2 and somehow already 30 appearances for the US men's national team. (laughs) Seems very 2022. I think he's on the money kind of chronologically. I think this is the sort of player we start to obsess over now. If we were to wind the clock back a few years, the, the correct answer, I think, would have been one of those kind of, like... Fabregas replicas, mm. as in post-Fabregas, when all the Premier League teams thought, oh, it's a great idea. Why don't we just sign all the best 15 and 16-year-olds from foreign academies? And with a bit of luck, they'll turn into Tess Fabregas. And Dennis Suarez at City, Fran Morita at Arsenal, Suso at Liverpool, Gael Kakuta at Chelsea. There were tons at Chelsea. City had City had so many who didn't even get to sort of Dennis Suarez levels. There's a lad called Juan Roman who everybody got very excited about. Alex Garcia, Manu Garcia, uh, <laughs> and it was like the kind of the the thing you had to have. And it was only in hindsight that people realised, oh, actually, maybe Fabregas was kind of a one-off. To be honest, kind of Brexit's played a part in it because there was very much like a function of pre-Brexit uh, transfer all. rules. Yeah, which meant that basically you could go and get anyone from the EU at 16, whereas now you can't do that, and so we're not getting that same kind of uh, Fabregas-type player. Okay, happy with that midfield. Um, Certain element of tactical sophistication about it, but we've got at least one player in there who's just going to make everyone really pissed off and sort of throw their hands up in the air at them, and and that's quite crucial to our uh, dressing room spirit, I think. Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Let's move on to our forward line then, please. Charlie, I've spoken about this before. But I feel like we're we're still enthralled to the converted winger, but they're now much more effective than, say, the Agbon Lahore-Walcott era of the mid-2000s. They know their jobs now and they're doing it properly. They, they don't look like they've been sort of shoehorned into a position. They are. They have made the position their own. Yeah, well, that's the, the big change, hasn't it? And just jumping ahead, but they're kind of linked, is that now it's become almost... So many of the teams now, their striker, it's become less glamorous. And obviously, we talk about the false nine, but there is, I think, you know, Firmino is kind of 
one comes to mind of that Liverpool front three or the the one that they've had, which is now slightly being uh, that's slightly evolving. The, he's the guy kind of doing a lot of the donkey work, almost making lots of runs, not going to get the ball, and it's then actually the wide forwards who are the ones scoring most of the goals and that sort of thing rather than as you said back in the day they were they didn't quite have that that's you know previously that we'd imagine they'd go to the byline put crosses in then as you say it became the more kind of like Bon Lahore Walcott but they didn't score a whole lot it was more because they didn't score enough as strikers so they got shunted out so that's been a big big evolution yeah, I completely agree we need a number nine who doesn't score goals that's the true the true sign of a clever team in the modern game <laughs> is having a number nine who doesn't score do we even want so, a traditional number nine Jack do we like well, yeah, I think we have a Firmino Lacazette type player who comes short, who sets up. Who, look, Charlie's right. You want a, a number nine who comes short, and then he's got players coming in from outside, running kind of out to win, like a sort of Sadio Mane type runs behind or Salah behind them. So it's 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 actually more. Of, you know what? It's actually more of a false nine than playing a midfielder as a conventional nine, which isn't really a false nine. Let's say so. Phil Foden playing up front for City isn't really a false nine. He's a midfielder playing as a nine. <laughs> I think as well, it's important that this guy should be a really well respected figure in the dressing room, and that. You know, you could do. There'd be a sort of midweek piece in the Athletic on how he he may not score that many goals, but his contribution is invaluable. And I'm not just talking here about assists and key passes. I'm talking about the fact that he is so selfless with his movement and so selfless around the place as well. You know, he uh, he he contributes in ways beyond beyond just trying teammates to training. Exactly, exactly. Let's have a look at some specifics then. Uh, Retro Rabbit writes in Jack says Flavio Pignotti. 35, started his career at Fiorentina, been through Juve, Milan, Roma, Napoli and Lazio, and now he's at Inter. Big, bold, deceptively good on the ball, but also ruthless off it. Seems to have been 35 forever. Huge uh, Fabio Quagliarella vibes here, but um, but I, I do want space in my team for a kind of wily, sort of subtly talented, enduring striker, and Italy does seem to produce them more than anybody else. So should we have our kind of 35-year-old Italian in that number nine-ish role that you were talking about? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, that sounds fine. I mean, in the if we can't specifically go for Firmino, who I think is the other, <laughs> then I think that is probably the... Yeah, someone who someone who's old and experienced and clever but doesn't actually score many goals. But is also, but is also taken by the more, like... You know how in elements of every single fan base there's always some fans who are the sort of self-appointed connoisseurs mm who would then designate this player as their favourite player. Yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? Definitely. Because yeah. they can appreciate what he does. Yeah, I, we understand him. And, uh, you know, the guy that scores 30 goals, he's you know, he's for the 12-year-olds, <laughs> but we really understand how football works. <laughs> Nicely put. I, I love this little thread that's sort of going through this entire episode. That really yeah. is helping. This, as well, with this guy, this is maybe a slightly different paradigm, but the Cavani-style... Um, big name who's never really been in the Premier League and you're slightly surprised he hasn't been and he never did when he was at his peak but he comes over now and he is sort of in his mid-30s and you know what he's still still really useful he's not going to be scoring loads but he can still you know he still helps the team out that just makes me think of the sentence I never really understood what it was with him but then he came over to he, he came over to the Premier League and I watched him he's actually really good <laughs> like, the runs he makes are so smart now see so you're both saying this in a fairly kind of derisive way but honestly there's a, there's a reason that people think this and justifiably is because 
it's a style of they might be coming from a league that has a style of football like Serie A historically where it's just so hard to appreciate if you're only watching it in little snippets and when they come over here you only only then do you actually get to realize that yes these players are fucking great well also it's because suddenly you care whereas like you you're turning on you're watching half a game you're like I don't really care who ends out of Juve and Bologna. But then all of a sudden when they're playing for your team or the team you hate, you're like, yeah, I've got to hand it to Cavani. He is, he is really good. I genuinely do think that having watched Cavani in the Premier League, I do I do rate him far higher now. He's ama- he, he is genuinely amazing. I, however, I don't think that about Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Oh, liked. absolutely right. Absolutely right. No, but no, this is good. We're, very, we're getting very much at the core mentality of this team. We've got a, a supposed centre forward whose role we can't, most people quite, can't quite understand. But we have this kind of functional wide man who will do a job defensively, but is also liable to get on the score sheet at any moment. Charlie, who are we missing? Do you mean like a, is that a kind of upgrade of the old fashioned? This is more of a 2010s thing. The kind of 2010s defensive winger, the sort of Park Ji Sung, Dirk Kout. Mm. Maybe that is the kind of. Do we want someone who's, who's going to put a foot in right from the front, Charlie? It depends how glamorous you want to be. I mean, the other the other one we haven't really talked about yet. I, I mentioned him, but Grealish. I mean, that's become such a thing. The socks rolled down. Oh yeah. You know, the sort of shit. We like haven't got anybody with their socks rolled down yet. Yeah. Let's do fe- this. That feels very 2022. Like I'm sure if I was primary school or secondary school now, I'd be doing that. Or loads of people would be doing that. You know that that feels very a la mode. Yeah. I mean, okay. Well. Let's set some rules here. Jack, it's increasingly common to see players with um, with their socks rolled down. But if we factor in everybody's predilections here, let's a, a little little splash of proper football manism, but also recognise where we are in the world. How many players in our team can we accept having their socks rolled down and where? I'd say maximum of two. One in the role that Charlie has described and maybe one of the midfielders, but that is it. No more. None of our defenders for a start. One of our centre-backs has got socks above the knee as well. That's the English good... Yeah. That's the kind of good lad captain yeah, yeah. type player. Mm, who nominates John Terry as I'm his th- favourite player of all time. And the, Whereas the other one nominates Sergio Ramos. In terms of like an English winger, I was thinking more of the kind of English winger who's had a spell in Germany... The the kind of one v one very exciting player commits commits opponents some questions about sort of end product but has also because he's been in the academy of a big English team has been like astonishingly famous in the age of about fourteen yeah. on Instagram which must actually have a really unhelpful <laughs> must, can't be there can't be like a helpful thing for any any teenage player to have but I think he's very much like part of our footballing landscape now is these players just become so famous so young mm. but it's- and now he's back from Germany and there's questions about you know is he fine has he kind of learned what he needs to do to, to, to make an impact as a player I mean yes and there's a debate over their attitude as to whether they is you know why didn't it work out in Germany you know there were, there were murmurings that he was late to train this thing but actually now he's back he's, he's fully focused again. yeah we're skirting very, again skirting very close to actually Actual, uh, real life case studies, but I, I also think that it's it's now such a well established genre of of English footballer, the one that goes over to Germany so so early because they sense it. There's more of an opportunity to get first team football over there, and then come back as a curiosity rather than as a full blown talent. First of all, so I think I feel like we do need that player in our team. It could also be Holland. They've still got that cachet, haven't they? I do. I do still find it like a weird sense of pride when I see English players playing in other leagues and doing quite well. Like when they come back, you are like, fair play. He's gone mm. abroad and he's, you know, 
Well, I mean, take, for example, that, that clip this week of Fikeo Tomori speaking fluent Italian. I liked it out of pride more than anything. I really enjoyed watching that. I did feel a weird sense of pride. What does that say about us? Is it... I don't know. I mean... <laughs> that we're yeah. awful at learning mm. other languages mm. and putting ourselves out of our comfort zone. So but when we I, see people doing it... I have great. to say, I have to say what I really liked about that clip, Jack, as, as impressed as I was about Fikeo Tomori's grasp of Italian after, after a short amount of time, was... Um, the mannerisms he was getting in there kind of uh, like, yeah well that's how i'd want to talk italian if i learned it too fair play you got to go the whole hog you got to you got to do it the whole way haven't you yeah yeah completely it was great yeah. but also kind of totally understandable as well why that would yeah. why someone would do that Oh dear! Actually, it makes it makes much more sense than speaking english with a dutch accent steve mclaren at 20 style yeah. No, yeah, you've got to go full effort, I think. Okay, well, what, a, what an interesting little team we've put together. Let's let's take a little sort of quick run through. We've got our kind of cool-headed, ice-in-the-veins goalkeeper with his short sleeves and his hint of charisma. Functional right-backs who are good going forward. You've got our centre-half partnership. One snidey and, and violent and one English with the socks above his knee. We've got our press-resistant, annoying little midfielder who literally divides his fan base. Sophisticated German space invader and diminutive, failed Spanish-slash-Portuguese superstar. Up front, a number nine who isn't really a number nine, but everybody loves him anyway. Returning English youngster, bearing, bringing with him his Bundesliga CV. And our uh, goal-scoring, diminutive wide man up front. So all we need now, Charlie, is a manager. So if we approximate all what we think of as a top-level elite football manager these days, what would you come I think up there, with? There are a few things. I mean, where do they come from? Well, I mean, again, we've spoken a lot about Germany. It, it is Germany is a real hotbed for and Austria. So that 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 part <laughs> of the world, they love their managers over there. Austria finally having a purpose. I mean, I'm sorry, but. <laughs> That that's, that bit of Central Europe. The uh, another one. I mean, there are a lot of good English ones, and I think of the in this regard the very much the earnest student of the game. Whoever it is, they work very very long hours. I mean, fourteen hour days to the point where you know are, are they almost too obsessed? And they might self deprecatingly say how their their wife says they need to get out more, or you know they need to stop spending their weekends watching. German third division on, on their satellite, but they just love it. On that point, actually, it's funny. It's funny what the, the breaking point for that is. If you spend 23 hours a day at the training ground, brilliant, fantastic. Actually sleep at the training ground. If you actually do sleep there, that's it. Everything's <laughs> fucked. You're fucked. So it's, um, it's amazing, really, how the uh, the breaking point of dedication. But um, Ch- Jack, Charlie suggested some sophisticated kind of trend-setting Germans, earnest Englishmen who've kind of taken a bit of that on board. But I sense you're going to you'll probably want to agree with me a little bit more because I want a Portuguese guy who's managed in at least two Portugal. of the following leagues: Greece, China, Ukraine. <laughs> yeah, I, I was go- I was thinking Portuguese manager bit of a playing career but not a lot definitely you know sort of study went to university in Portugal because Port- like, one of the big differences between Portuguese and English football is that Port- there's just much more of a culture of learning over there like if you're going to become a football manager you go and do a degree in it so yeah definitely someone who came up through the sort of Portuguese education system a student of Jose Mourinho but played a slightly more exciting brand of football yeah, tactical periodization and yeah, he doesn't want to be called the yeah. new Mourinho. Absolutely, no, do, doesn't want to be called to be the called new Mourinho. Yeah. But yeah, has definitely in amongst his his spells at you know Rio Ave or Braga or Estoril or whoever. Yeah, maybe did a bit of Al Shabab, a bit of Al Rayyan, possibly Valencia uh, as well. If we don't get uh, it. The, uh, 
with, yeah. with, oh, yeah, with yeah, the Mendes yeah, connection. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's done some Europa uh, yeah, business. I, I have sure. to say, when Vitor Pereira was being linked with Everton, I'm sure he's done wonderful things in his career. Didn't mean any respect. This is about my own ignorance, but it's a bit like kind of aggregator that had <laughs> spat out this guy and, and we were all just and, and no one it was a bit emperor's new clothes no one wanted to be like is, is, is he real has he has he actually done anything I've, I've, I've certainly never heard of him yeah I know now, would would an aggregator have set up Everton to do better in that <laughs> game at White Hart Lane <laughs> on Monday well um, this this approximated would an aggregator have blamed the players afterwards yeah this approximated manager we've come up with. If we don't get him, <laughs> Everton will, and that's for sure. Fascinating little team we put together. Um, rather serious affair. Didn't expect it to be so, but um, but I, I think we've gone some way. Better than anyone else, I reckon, to approximating the current stock of elite-level footballers. Jack, thanks very much for your participation. My pleasure. Good luck with the driving. Thank you very much. I'll need it. Charlie, thanks to you. Thank you very much. Are you happy with happy with the team? Yeah, I am. I think not that we're ever going to revisit it. No, I think it's uh, as we spoke about. It's it's about finding an essence and trying to pick out some some key themes. And I think we've gone gone some way to doing that. Well, they're all going to play in one big bowl shaped out of town identikit sort of spaceship stadium. style. No, it won't be an identikit. It's a little bit sort of maybe like the Wonder Metropolitano. It's identikit to an extent, but it's still fairly impressive sure. once you're inside. I, I'm thinking and of identikit from ten to twenty years ago. Yeah. It, you, know, you will tweet a picture of it when you go to the press box for the first time. It's a magnificent. First time here. Re- magnificent. <laughs> very impressive. Really imp- very impressive. Very impressive, very impressive indeed. Thanks very much to you both. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next week for the adjudication panel. Cheers. The Athletic.